Hi, I'm Abhinav. I'm Madhu. Welcome to the Inspiring Idea Podcast. We interview people from across the world and share their life stories and success formulas with our audience. We hope this will inspire you to achieve your dreams. So, let's get the show started. Our guest today is the co-founder of Data Science Rex, industry innovation mentor, trainer at various universities in Singapore, a self-funded researcher, Co also does AI consulting for various organization. Co, welcome to the show. How are you going today? Hey, hi. Thank, thank you, Abhinav. Uh, thanks for having me here. I, I, I'm good today. Uh, because it's why because it's a weekend. <laughs> uh, <laughs> That's fantastic. Most of our guests had a moment in their childhood which led to a career path in AI or data science. Let's mm-hmm. start with a brief introduction about yourself. And how did you get into ever-growing field of data science and AI? Well, I don't really had an epiphany during my sort of childhood. I said, yeah, this is something that I like to do. But more of like, I know I wanted to have something to do with mathematics. Uh, so that was, that, was a, that was a start. And I can like spend hours and hours on a mathematics problem. But unfortunately, I had to follow a syllabus. That was what my teachers tells me. <laughs> uh, during that period of time, um, the only way to sort of access knowledge and all this was through a textbooks and all. And unfortunately, I think textbook was something that was a bit out of reach for my family. Uh, but I tried to read a lot as much as uh, possible. So of course, that during that time, library will be where I go to most of the time uh, to, to, to get my books and to read up on uh, all the different topics I, uh, in English. I still remember, I think my favorite book was, uh, sorry, favorite author was actually Annie Blyton. I don't know whether it, it triggers any... Uh, uh, memories for for your listeners, <laughs> uh, but yeah, Annie Blyton was one of the was one of my favorite authors and all. But coming back, um, so I know I wanted to do mathematics, and then when I went over to uh junior college over here in uh, Singapore, it was sort of a pre U, uh, pre U college. I actually studied uh economics, uh, because back then during my during my time right uh. If you study mathematics alone, right, what's going to happen is end up become a teacher. No, 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 no disrespect to teachers, but I wasn't too keen on teaching in the first place at, at, at that time. I was more keen on making money. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll be very transparent and honest here. Yeah, I, I'm more keen on making money. So the, only, the next thing I wanted to do was like, okay, so I probably need to study a subject that can help me make a lot of money or at least understand how money works. And I did economics. So economics was my major. So I studied economics. I, I, I love the topic a lot. There was a, there was a topic on uh, mathematical economics where you use mathematics to sort of model the economy and to get to understand the economy a lot more. So I, I, I kind of like that topic a lot. And I came across this thing called econometrics. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, which is actually forecasting, right? To, to put it in a nutshell, uh, forecasting and all, which got me interested and said, hey, I like to sort of uh, combine mathematics with uh, economics and... Um, that time the available job will be a stock analyst. So I prepared myself in that way. Uh, I did a lot of uh, analysis work. I looked at numbers. I tried to understand business uh, and uh, so on and so forth. And unfortunately, uh, I came out during uh, similar circumstances to now. Uh, I came out during a SARS period in Singapore. I graduated then. Um, 18 months stacking shelves, literally. I did not really got a proper job. Not like now where I think the... Fresh grads over here are quite fortunate. We have government schemes to sort of put them into work. Uh, for me, I, I didn't have that. But, so I have like 18 months. Uh, 
But I didn't go, I didn't sort of like stop learning. I still pick up uh, books. I still go to libraries. I still learn about strategic management, uh, business, uh, accounting and, and stuff like that. And uh, I sort of stumbled, then stumbled into this thing called business intelligence. It wasn't called data science. It wasn't called AI back then. It was called business intelligence. Mm-hmm. I stumbled upon it was because, uh, so after 18 months, I was hired into this job, uh, which was uh, a research assistant in an education institution. Uh, So I did a lot of social science research on education and stuff like that. And I was using this software called SAS. uh, And it happens that SAS, uh, their education manager came to look for a practitioner who uses SAS quite a lot and says that, hey, I'm looking for a trainer. And I said, okay, heck it. I I know I'm not 100% going to be ready for for the training job. So Mm -hmm. I jumped in and says that, okay, let's learn on the job, learn on the flight. At least I get paid doing it anyway. (laughs) Yeah, which is a bonus point. So I was 70% ready. I got the course materials. I jumped in, I taught and all this. And I was, I kind of liked training then. Uh, It it triggered me because I kind of found that actually it has a long lasting impact on people. And I like that kind of uh, uh, impact. So I like to like sort of use this as a platform to uh, create a positive impact in the world, uh, train up more people to understand it. So long story short, that was sort of the trigger. Lah, the trigger. So I, with, with SAS in mind and all this, I went in, I do training, I analyze data, and I've managed to sort of share my experience of uh, using data for research purposes and so on. So that will, I would say that would be the start of it. Lah. But I, but all those previous ones were sort of like the smaller steps I took to, to reach these uh, bigger steps. Yeah. So passion leading to a purpose. <laughs> you've got different avatars, right? So you've got trainer, you've been a mentor, and then uh, you know you want you are you wanted to do a consultancy for different organizations and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So you like all three, or you like uh, any specific um, uh, skill that you would love to? Okay, mentor? I'm a rational human being. Since I studied economics, <laughs> I would say I like all three of them. Uh, each has its. Uh, pros and cons. Uh, the only sort of resources I have to sort of uh, juggle between them will be time. Lah, right? So I, I do like training uh, because of that uh, impact. Uh, also because of uh, being able to interact with a lot of people. So I, I, actually, I don't really like the word training. I like the word facilitation rather. Mm-hmm. Uh, reason being is I think the things have changed. Uh, there's no such thing as a one-way training now these days. I kind of feel that I also learn from my participants as well because they have a different perspective for looking at things. And uh, they also help to sharpen how I explain things, right? Because if I explain it this way, they say that, hey, sorry, I still don't understand you. Okay, you know that this particular path may not be the right way and you choose another path then. So training itself actually now is a two-way learning. And I kind of also like that because I get to learn on the, on the spot. Absolutely. Um, mentoring is a slightly different thing. Mentoring would be more of a one-to-one thing. Um, so when it's a one-to-one interaction versus a one-to-many interaction in the training, it requires a different communication uh, channel, a different communication set, uh, skills uh, and stuff like that. Then consulting is, a, is, is of course another thing as well. Because consulting will be, I would say I'm, I, I like to be academic, but I like to be a practice academic. So even though I'm not working in universities, uh, I like to sort of uh, like the academic life where you like sit down, you research, you learn a lot of things going forward. But also to see where research can be impactful and where research mm-hmm. is not impactful. Yeah. So consulting actually helps me helps me with that. Uh. Yeah. So putting theory into practice is, yes. is what I really <laughs> is concerned about. 
That's yep. fantastic. Cool. Now let's talk about what's something that you're passionate about data science. And mm. if you look at it, data science has got so many different definitions. It'll mm. be great to know from you, how do you define data science and mm. its importance? Okay. Um, yeah, I agree with you. There are a lot of definitions of what data science is. Uh, in fact, I like to always describe data science right, with this picture where you have a few uh, blind people touching the elephants and all this, and then everyone has their own de definition of the elephant. So elephant will be the data science or the data science uh, elephant. Uh, uh, so everyone has his own interpretation of it. Um, generally for me, at the end of the day, I'm a business person. Uh, so no one, no, no businessman is going to do data science for the sake of data science. At the end of the day, all the businessmen is going to do data science because he can make money out of it. So when we talk about that, that means what? That means that for data science, right? What I will always define data science as will be how you derive uh, value from data. And all data scientists, or maybe all, even like AI scientists, data scientists, data analysts, data engineers, and all these, right? They are at the end of the day data professionals that try to bring value out from the data. Mm -hmm. uh, right? And they do it differently. So at the end of the day, if I really do sort of boil down what uh, data science is, is deriving value from data. How do you define machine learning? Machine learning, uh, machine learning is just one of the tools uh, to, bring out, to bring out the value from the data, I would say. Um, so, so when we talk about data, right, currently now when we talk about data and all this, uh, there's a lot of mathematics behind uh, the scene, uh, a lot of mathematics behind the scene. I tell, actually, I tell everyone, I say that if you, have, if you sit down and try to think through your whole day, right, there's a lot of mathematics involved. I, I mean, you look at when you take your, when you take your bus, right, there's the engineering mathematics that's, that's involved. There's also the physics law that's involved. Physics law is also defined by mathematics as well. You've got your E equals to MC square. You've got your F equals to MA and all these, which are all the formulas you probably have forgotten <laughs> in school. But it's existing right now. Okay, it's, it's, it's running right now uh, in, 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 the, in the real world. And then when you are buying something, right, pretty sure in your mind you're optimizing. You're trying to say that, hey, if I spend this $2, right, what value can I get? Can I get a, a good taste? Can I get like a quick uh, meals and, and so on and so forth. So optimization comes into the picture. The whole day you are actually optimizing if you look at it because you don't want to oh, like spend too much time on something that uh, doesn't give you too much value uh, and, and, and so on and so forth. Yeah. So mathematics is actually all, all, all around. So the difference you know? between the machine learning and, and the data science, I think you, you touched upon that where machine yes. learning is a tool to derive value. And that's... Uh, yes, machine, yeah, correct. So machine learning is actually a tool to derive uh, value from, from the data. Yes, I think a lot of people have this idea that machine learning is complex and all this, and generally it isn't, it doesn't need to be complex. And I kind of feel um, for machine learning, right, it's just machines trying to learn patterns, machines trying to learn the re relationship between uh, the data. That's, that's how I'll boil down to it. So to give an example, right, would be like, for instance, when I was in the banks, I did machine learning to access credit risk. So when we say access credit risk means that, hey, we want to find like from the data, right? From the data, what kind of behavior will lead to a default outcome and what kind of behavior will lead to a non-default outcome. So that, that's what machine learning is trying to do also. Another example for machine learning will be where we try to find some structure in our data. A uh, common example would be like trying to profile your customers. Uh, you want to know like, we all know that, we all know that all the supermarket, right? We all we know that all the supermarket serve different kinds of customers. But what kinds of customer then? And that one is where we have to define, we have to try and find structure and patterns in our purchasing behavior. Uh, so you can actually do that as well in using machine learning. Mm. Yeah. 
Interesting. And yeah. so when you look at Inspiring Ideas podcast, we uh, mainly focus on two areas. One mm. is uh, emerging technology. The other one is on the startups. It's more about the business. Mm. You, Ku, you are a rare blend of having a good background in tech and also your MBA and then orienting towards the business side. That's a fantastic combination. We always love to talk and listen to such um, uh, guests coming to our show. Now, if you analyze the watts of uh, the the things that you are doing in your in your company, the trainings, the consultancies, the mentoring. So these are the common themes. But can you tell us more about the, the DSR and what are you trying to do there? Uh, okay, so DSR uh, is a company uh, to sort of uh, push out data science. Uh, so what, what we're looking for, the mission for DSR, right, is to actually help companies uh, to build up their data science uh, capabilities. Uh, so when we say build up data science capabilities will be the, through the three channels that you mentioned just now. So like training, mentoring, consulting, uh, these three. So that is what we are focusing on. Uh, why we chose this was because, uh, so I, I actually run a tech community uh, outside. And in my previous role, I talked to a lot of companies and all this. And a lot of companies, what they do is they always ask me this question. It says, cool, how do I start? I got data. Does it mean that I can, I can start? Uh, so this uh, company, DSR, was set up right to sort of help to answer that question. Mm. Because what we, what we saw was also that, hey, everyone's circumstances is unique. That's like business model, that's like revenue model, that's like their business process, that's also like their capabilities uh, and, and stuff like that. So how should they go about setting it up, right? Will be, will, they will definitely need a more customized solution. Data science is not something where you go to a school, you study, you come out and then you can do it really, unfortunately. That's, that's not the case. Uh, and I can, and based on my observation, at least when I, when, when I was uh, previously working in the in academic institution, right? What I observe is that if you go to a master's program, you go to a master's program or you go to a boot camp, sorry, it's very expensive. I'll, I'll, I'll say this first. Uh, it's, it's like five digits and all this. Um, very expensive. And I'll be, I'll be right up front here for those people who are thinking of taking it right. I can simply tell you your employer is, going to, is only just going to use 10% to 15% of it. Mm -hmm. uh, so it, it, in that case, right, if you think about it, right, students going in, let's say take a master's degree program and that's about maybe 50,000, you only use 10% of it. So the value, the, the part that's valuable to maybe your employer will be about $5,000 uh, and, and so on and so forth. Your company is not going to pay that, that 50,000 for you. So mm -hmm. you have to find some other ways to cover the other 95% then. The company is only willing to pay that $5,000. Yeah. So, so in that sense, what I see is there's a need for customized training, customized mentoring, customized uh, consulting, so that everyone, all the stakeholders, the employees, and employers, all can focus on using what is important to them, what, what can generate value uh, for them. Yeah. It's a, it's a very good uh, perspective. I've, I've never heard that answer before. In fact, Abhi, correct me if I'm wrong. Because mm. it is, it, and that's what is needed, the customized bit. So have you got some examples where, uh, you know, maybe you have done something from your experience, it could be healthcare or retail or anywhere, where you okay. go and train people, mm. customize training, listen mm. to them, understand the training need analysis and whatnot, mm. and then provide a specific consultancy so that you are building the data science team there at the same time adding value. Mm. 
okay, I, I didn't have such a, such a big project yet. I, I'm still sort of like on my sort of business development phase uh, because also, so there's also the education phase as well where you have to get, show the top management there's a value by, by doing something like this. But this is sort of a very nascent view. But generally what I was, what I can share is this, uh, a lot of companies thinks that data science is about machine learning. Uh, that's it really. But if you go back my definition of what data science is, which is deriving value from, uh, from, from data, I would say a lot of companies are not, follow, uh, are not uh, focusing on the right thing, which is getting their data in order first. A lot of uh, companies, when, when, I, when I consult them, when I talk to them and all this, a lot of them is just more of like, hey, I got data, I like to do data science. And then they immediately want to jump into machine learning. But when you look at how they do their reporting process and all these, right, their business performance uh, matrix and all these, um, they're generally not tied to strategy, no? Yeah, uh, uh, actually a good, a good way, a good start to using data, right, for your, uh, to derive value from it, right, is to look at your uh, reporting process. If I look at your reporting process, I look at your dashboard, I look at your reports, and I don't, I don't see your strategy, as in, I can't infer your strategy from, from the reports and all this, right? It means you're not doing it correctly already. Uh, and the quick wins is actually from the reporting side. But unfortunately, I think a lot of companies what I observe is not, is not the case. Uh, I, can't, I can't infer. What I can infer is only uh, this, this, this report definitely has been running for the maybe 20 to 30 years already. Uh, mm. Because it has never changed. Uh, it has never changed. It has never been sort of tied with mm. the, uh, the, the strategy. Uh, but the more sort of uh, companies that I observe that are using data very well. So one of them I, I would say uh, is Amazon. So Amazon is a totally, they have used as much as possible. They have tried to use uh, data. They have tried to use data to optimize their warehouse. You can all see like the, yeah. I think it was a Kiva, Kiva robots and all this. Then uh, optimizing the last mile as well, where they get the uh, freelance uh, workers to actually distribute the, uh, the packages and, and, and all. Uh, so uh, I will say, unfortunately, I haven't had such a big major project yet. But in conclusion, I will say that as a start, right, if companies really want to do it, uh, they should look at their business performance and metrics and see how to get them tied up. And of course, if they need help, then they come and look for me. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's fantastic. I think yeah. that's a very critical point. You said that uh, the data needs to get aligned with the strategy for the organization, you know. Yeah. Like uh, it cannot work in isolation. That's a really, really great insight out of it. The next question is you got hackathons, you got uh, meetups, webinars, training, podcast. There are all different ways to crowdsource, to attack a problem. Now you have experience with all of these, which one you felt is the most effective and why? Actually all of them are sort of effective in their, in their own way. Uh, uh, but I would say actually the most effective Okay, so, so, so this one is going to be a bit strange, but uh, I, I would say the most effective way of sort of communicating and all this, right, uh, to share about data science and all has always been more of the physical meetup. Mm-hmm. Uh, as more of the physical meetup. And it's actually the dinner after the physical meetup. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so, so before the COVID times, uh, before the COVID times, we have a lot of physical meetups and all this, almost like uh, sometimes it can go up to like two meetups in a, in a month. And I think generally I have sort of created a reputation where, hey, let's meet up for a meal after the, the, the physical meetup and all. And this is where at the start, right, it was only three or four people. Now I can have enough people to have to occupy like two big tables. Uh, 
of like maybe 20 people that will come together for, <laughs> for dinner and all this, then we sort of separate into groups. And I, I, I like that vibe because after that, what happens is after the food, right? Uh, there's a lot of discussion. People share that, hey, this is what I see, this is what I observe. Is that what you see? Is that what you observe? And people also share their own experience as well. They say that, hey, cool, you know, I, I, I seen this, I heard this example and all this, what's your opinions, what's your thoughts? And I also get to like hear what are the sort of experience or uh, that are outside out of my sort of, out of my senses and all this. And that, that is how I get to learn uh, what's happening in the industry uh, right now. And that is also how I get to share what my observation is with the rest of the of my friends. Hmm. Uh, and uh, the good thing is my friends are also sort of in the industry and all this and they sort of go out and spread the words uh, for me and so I, I, okay but having said I, I'm not saying whatever that I say are gospel first uh, just in case people are wondering no I, I'm more of like I love for people to also share their opinions with me as well as and I shape my opinions along uh, uh, along the way so in terms of effectiveness in sharing data science and all this I would say it's a physical meetup where I meet people there's a lot more interaction and uh, more importantly, will be the, the the meal after the the, the meetup. <laughs> any day, right? So any day, physical meetups, and I'm that I'm definitely missing Abhi's uh, coffee catch up with people, and and that's why we had to do it over Zoom <laughs> and start the podcast like this. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I was like, actually, if you ask me, really, I I, I do miss the physical one, but. I think now, now in Singapore, at least we are we are we are opening up and all this. I, I believe that is that is the case also in Australia as well, right? So absolutely, um, yeah. The physical meetup and all, I get to meet with people. I like to see their hand gesture. But if you look at it now, when you look at Zoom, right, everyone's like oh, just a face only. That isn't like the hand gesture and all. <laughs> unfortunately, <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. Body language plays a huge part. Anyway, yeah. so coming back to the meetups and uh, the other uh, avenues where you can share knowledge. And- what is the general spiel around uh, the, the different data roles that are getting created today, right? So mm-hmm. I find the number of roles, it could be data analysts, data engineers, data architects, and whatever, right? Data strategists. <laughs> so how, how do you view it? And how is the market uh, leading to the definitions of it? So that it's very clear in terms of if I need someone, I need someone with a specific skill set. For me to do a job. Actually, to me, if you ask me, right, I think titles plays a secondary role. Uh, generally, for me, I like to look at the experiences. I think it's, the experiences counts a lot more. So data science is a very, uh, I would say, a more of a 21st century kind of uh, skills. Uh, why is that? So it's because I kind of feel, okay, last time, last time is you go to, you go to a, a university, you pick up the skills and then you can be put on the job. Nowadays, that's, that's not the case. Uh, what I equate it with, right, is that you you go to a university, you go to a boot camp, you pick up data science, right? You only just understand what, what is the toolbox of data science. Mm-hmm. You have not demonstrated any capability of using the tools, right, to solve problems, to derive value from from. Uh, from data. So that, that is what I that's what I observe. So at the end of the day, right, like I said, I think titles to me are secondary. I like to actually look at the uh, the experiences first. And then from the experience, I will know whether someone is suitable or not suitable for a particular role. But having said that, that view still holds even though uh but what I observe it for the current industry right now is we are starting to have some uh, a bit more well-defined, I would say well-defined code for each of the titles these days. Um, so like for instance, the data scientists will be more, of course, more focused on the algorithms. 
Uh, then you have the data engineer who is more focused on the data warehouse, the data pipelines, and depending on the companies, you may even have to implement the machine learning models into the IT system. Uh, machine learning engineer will be more focused on implementing the, the machine learning uh, models into the IT system. Uh, then there's a data analyst will be more focusing on the reporting side of things, the analysis of the data, uh, what has happened in the past, and, and, and so on and so forth. So now it's a bit more well-defined though, I would say. Uh, but there are still a handful of companies who have very different, <laughs> very funny, funny uh, uh, job titles. Uh. So some of the funny, funny job titles will be like data scientist manager. Yeah. Uh, like data scientist manager. So data scientist manager manage data scientists uh, or... Wouldn't that wouldn't wouldn't be calling calling it a team lead might be much better? Then that's like data science manager. Uh, so what's a data science manager? Uh, also don't know what's what's happening, right? So 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 at the end of the day, I would say if anyone who's thinking about hiring, uh, don't focus so much on the title, focus on the experience uh, instead. Yeah. That's a good advice. And, and talk, you know, I just wanted to shift focus on innovation, and that's a very, very hot topic, right? Mm. And when you look at Singapore, you know, if you look at the country, it has used technology to the maximum use, right? Mm -hmm. um, and you are a key member of the AI Singapore uh, yeah. and innovation mentor as well. Mm -hmm. So how do you define innovation? And can you give us some examples of innovation in action, say in the last one year? I think innovation, again, at the end of the day, like I said, I believe in the value. So innovation is more of like, so a lot of people have this misconception says that innovation needs creativity and all this. I, I, I would say maybe not the case. I would say it's more of a different way of doing things because maybe now technology has improved. Uh, there are new ways of doing, uh, so, so there are sort of like new ways of doing things where we can use technology to help improve uh, and, and, and stuff like that. So yeah, innovation doesn't need to have a big bang. I'll put it that way. At the end of the day, innovation it must be something that serves the humankind. Uh, the must have the value to serve the humankind better and all this. And I think if if I were to quote an example of how uh, innovation has sort of helped for the past year, one year in Singapore, I maybe let's even extend the example further and let's look at the whole world right, right now where we are in the pandemic now. Uh, I think innovation has come, come in. We are now like using our smartphones to do contact tracing. Uh, we are now using like, so in Singapore, we have this thing called a safe entry where we can now scan QR codes before we enter a premises so as to keep track uh, where we are going. Then we have this thing called a trace together token where it helps us to uh, record down who are the people who are near us uh, without, okay, this one is a bit controversial. Some of them are still arguing about this, but I don't <laughs> think it, it, it invades our privacy. Uh, uh, I do believe I do believe our governments are our government are quite uh, uh, open about it. Uh, I don't think they have anything to hide about it uh, for, for, for that for that matter. But having said that, don't don't I, I hope the audience don't misconstrue me as a as a government supporter by the way. Yeah. So uh, I mean I mean all, all, all governments will have uh, pros and cons lah. Yeah. So it's more more of like which one has more, which one has less only. But coming back, I would say yeah, it, innovation in this case we we. Uh, uh, it's really a new way of doing things. Not not re really have to be a big bang. Not really have to have a lot of creativity, uh, and and stuff like that. Uh, and we have seen it in the past one year how how we have handled the pandemic. And and I I think you probably have seen announcement where our government is now like moving into digital government management. Uh, where we try to have a lot of services uh, online and also inside our mobile apps uh as well. 
yeah so i would say those are those are good innovations that that serve the uh, population that serve the human or the society well yeah how do you uplift uh, some of the small businesses who cannot uh, you know have the luxury of spending uh, that much to become more innovative or so uh yeah singapore actually has this uh, a, a few schemes right that helps uh, all these smes to sort of uh, pick up uh, to pick up their cap- capabilities and all this and in fact offer sort of uh, uh, so i would put it in quotes services uh, where they have uh, people who are uh, trained to a certain extent to work on uh, POCs to work on projects. Um, so over on their website in AI Singapore is actually called 100E, uh, 100 Experiments. Um, so SMEs who are who may be a bit tight, uh, but really wants to build up their capabilities and all this, but do not know how to start. Uh, and I would say add one more caveat, which is to have a POC to really see how it works. Please talk to AI Singapore. Yeah, for 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 the for the Singapore uh, SMEs. Uh, unfortunately, the overseas one you you can't. But overseas one you can talk to me if you want to. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, but uh, coming back, um, so that's that's how they can use it to uh, build up their 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 capabilities and all uh, Yeah. One more, one more, one more thing to add is I'm actually I'm actually going to work on a new initiative uh, soon. And what we understand is sometimes we need to build economies of scale, right? So that SMEs can actually tap onto all these like AI capabilities and stuff like that. So I'm working on such an initiative right now. I can't share more details on it, but uh, for those who are interested, if if it's okay, you please follow me on LinkedIn, uh, and I'll share the the initiative soon. Uh, probably in the next year or so. Yeah. Awesome. Definitely. We'll look forward to it. Now, I think we're talking about innovation and I really like your definition of innovation that it is more than just be creative. It is mm-hmm. about what value are you delivering to your customer? So that's, that's really fantastic. And then we touched about digital transformation, you know, and that's really become very important, especially post COVID. Now there are two ways I could see, you know, to take an approach for going for digital transformation. One, it could be a big bank approach or the other could be experimental, small win approach. Are there any formulas or method that you would suggest companies so that they can be innovative uh, through their journey uh, when they're going through their journey of digital transformation? Okay, um, so I, okay, maybe uh, I'll use this, so use my method to build a data science capabilities right? and let's push, uh, move, so take it in and put it for digital transformation as well. So uh, for data science capabilities or for AI capabilities, right? What I usually tell uh, a lot of my uh, clients, right? You don't jump in I- immediately. Uh, what you like to have, right, is to build a momentum. Uh, what's what I mean by build a momentum means that you you what you like to show some value first. Let mm-hmm. the re- let the value run faster than the cost. Uh, you have to always remember this when you want to do any transformation, right? In order to sustain the momentum in order to reduce the inertia, you have to make sure that the value run faster than the cost. Uh, if you don't, if you don't do that, right? If where you where your cost is more than the value, any businessman will just say, "Sorry, cut. You cannot, you cannot allow that because you're, we are we are we are losing money." Mm-hmm. So I will say, uh, for me, my general preference is you start small. No need to go in with a big bank though. So when I say start small, is you try to manage the cost of uh, showing value. I'm trying to manage the cost of showing value. So for me, I'm a, uh, so what I usually advocate my, my uh, participants, my course participants and also my clients is I tell them that talk to a consultant, talk to a university, tell the universities that, hey, 
I like to sponsor projects for your students, but I will need someone from your side to guide the students and mentor the students. Uh, or if the company doesn't want to have a faculty member, you can always get an external consultant to sort of supervise the students. So get the students maybe to work on two projects, mm -hmm. uh, one or two projects. So students, you don't have to pay them that much, right? I mean, I'm not trying to be exploitative here, but you really don't have to pay them that much compared to a, to a full-time consultant. So you can put them, pay them maybe about, let's say maybe in Singapore terms will be about maybe $1,500 uh, so $1,500 maybe for a six months project, that would be about $9,000. And maybe you pay the consultant a bit more better or pay the faculty a bit more better so that you can sort of tease out more, uh, more knowledge transfer over. <laughs> uh, uh, you do that and uh, so maybe you pay the consultants about uh, maybe $5,000 a month or something like that. I'm not too sure. So, so maybe like, so that will cost, the consultant will cost about $30,000, but the consultant will be supervising two students. So two students, 18,000, 30,000 for the consultant, 30,000, 18,000. So if you're about 50,000, 50,000 about two projects is about $25,000. I haven't heard of POC that is done by a big four, right? That's $25,000 in the first place. It's definitely, yeah, definitely more than that. And with that two projects in mind really, right? Let's say you've got two projects in mind, you can have up to three. So you two projects in mind, you now have actually have something concrete ready, right? And you now can bring to the management and say that, hey, this is a value. This is a cost. Would you like to put now put in more money to sort of build up the infrastructure, build up the capabilities? The management look at it, right? Chances are they, they have something to hold. They have something quantified in their mind. They will likely to say, okay, yes, but we only have this amount of budget for you given the POC that you're done. Would you like to do that? That, that I think is good. So you take the money in, you build up your infrastructure, you build up maybe, especially your data infrastructure first, because that, that's, that's the most important. And then from there, you sort of create a, a, a positive momentum, a virtual cycle where you generate more projects. Then you release more projects, you go to the top management. Management says, hey, okay, I like this. Okay, let's continue. Then you, you keep on building it. Until you've got so much sold, you've got so much projects ready, right? You can then say that, hey, I think it's time to hire people because we need people to sort of work on these projects consistently and stuff like that. And what you can do is this, this is the bonus, huh? this is bonus. You go back to all the previous students that you hired to work on your, on the projects and you get them in because they have your what they have your domain knowledge already. You sort of train them during that, that six months period. Uh, so then you bring them in and then they can work on the projects for you. They already have good understanding of projects for you. You cut down that, that sort of training time at that onboarding time. And then from there, I'm pretty sure the companies will be on its way to, to uh, get more value from the data. So I, I would say that model also is quite applicable to digital transformation as well. Yeah. Different perspective, but fantastic to hear. Oh yeah, thanks. <laughs> Ku, you, uh, you, we have done research about you and loved your thought and perspectives on number of topics related to AI and data science. We would love to go deeper into these subjects, mm. starting with AI 2020 and beyond. Can mm. you share your thoughts on how AI has evolved over time? At least based on my observation right now, I think a lot of people have this fear that AI, AI will get into what we call AGI. AGI. I would say maybe even from AGI to super intelligence, where those like uh, you see from the Hollywood movies, uh, where the robots start killing people and stuff like that. Uh, I will say based on my research, at least, I don't think that's a likely scenario so soon. So, so there's still a lot of other problems that, that the AI researchers need to overcome first before we get into that stage where the AI 
sort of uh, performs like a, a human intelligence. But I, what I will say now, for now, right, at least the state of uh, AI, right, I will say, I will really call it just two words. Huh? It's just smarter automation now. Uh, it's just smarter automation. Uh, automation that there's a bit more, uh, you can take into account more sort of varied circumstances, uh, but still controlled, I will say. Um, so, so for now, AI won't take over jobs, uh, just in case the audiences are wondering. Uh, I highly doubt so, not, not in the near future. Um, but at least uh, we can start seeing AI taking up some of the tasks, uh, which is good, uh, which is good. Because, I mean, how many, I mean, most of us, when we are working in a job, right, there are some tasks that you say that, wow, it's, it's boring to hell. Uh, it's boring like hell. You just feel like pulling your hair. You just feel like strangling yourself. Uh, <laughs> Uh, so those jobs are generally right, those jobs are generally also don't 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 uh, generate too much value as well. So it could be like filling up papers, uh, it could be like very very sort of administrative. I would say uh, some of them, most of them are, are administrative. Uh, so actually, if you ask me, I, I really have great respect for my for my administrative uh, people. Uh, really, it's, it's all these work are very mind numbing for me at, at least. Um, so AI AI can actually take over some of this uh, lower value, but uh, I'll say structured process that can be automated. Highly repetitive. Um, yes, highly repetitive. Yes, highly repetitive uh, tasks, uh, which is good. Like, like I said, I think it's, it's, for, it's for the best of uh, uh, humans, I would say. Uh, it makes the jobs a bit, a bit more interesting rather than boring. Um, so that's that. Um, and I think even the, given the circumstances now, I think we also have seen how AI has used right, to sort of help humans deal with the pandemic. Mm -hmm. uh, so we have like robots helping to serve. So in Singapore over here, we have robots trying, uh, helping to actually serve uh, the supplies to the quarantine uh, people. Uh, so like uh, serve food, uh, uh, I think like big sheets and all this because we, we actually have a large community community space uh, to quarantine a lot of the infected, they are quite infected. Um, and we have robots to sort of serve them. So, so as to reduce the contact, the human uh, contact as much as uh, uh, possible. So uh, we have seen that kind of uh, usage of AI. Um, so I would say, I would say currently as of now, if we look at AI 2020 and beyond, we will just be finding more ways of automating uh, tasks. Uh, we just find, find more and more tasks to be automated by, uh, by AI. As for whether we will be reaching the AGI stage, I, I don't think so. Like, not, in, not in the near future. There's still a lot of problems to, to, to overcome. Yeah. Hmm. So what are the skill sets do you think that people will have to develop uh, to overcome uh, their jobs being taken? If you look at all the answers that the previous guests have given us, hmm. every single revolution have actually yielded more jobs. It has not taken away jobs. It has improved the jobs that we do. Hmm. So what, according to you, is the list of skill sets that the government will have to think about, or the individuals will have to think about, the companies will have to think about uh, to develop uh, such qualities so that they can be staying relevant at the same time earning money and then working in tandem with the robots. So, uh, yeah, I, I, as an economist by training, right, so this, so the jobs thing is also one of the, one of my uh, concern, concern and, and, and all this. So I think for now, right, jobs that requires a lot of human touch, Figuratively speaking, not literally. <laughs> uh, so it's more um, so jobs like teaching, jobs like coaching, jobs like uh, maybe nursing and stuff like that. We 
probably will, will, will still be around for quite a while because I don't think AI can, can replace that. Generally, AI can replace, like I said, a lot of repetitive tasks and all this, but tasks that requires a bit more like communication, better communication, better empathy. Uh, so, so that's why nursing was, nursing was quoted. Teaching and training was, was quoted just now. Those are the tasks that won't be uh, easily replaced. Those are the jobs that won't be easily replaced by AI. I don't think that will be replaced so easily in the, in the near future. But in a nutshell, for, I think for, for the audiences, for your audiences, um, if they want to sort of make sure that their jobs don't get re replaced, uh, I would say the, the jobs will get replaced. I'll, I'll put it straightforward here. But what are the skills that will sort of help you last longer uh, will be the people skills, uh, the soft skills, the empathy, the communication skills. Those are the ones that will help you uh, last longer. But you also, one more skill that I think a lot of people overlook and that is learning skill. Mm. Uh, so that means how, how you learn. Uh, yeah. How you learn better, how you learn faster. I think those are the ones that those, those skills is also going to be very important as well. So I think yesterday I was talking to a, a, a mentor of mine, a friend of mine, and a mentor of mine. So we were saying that, hey, actually, if you look at it, right, technical skills now are out there these days. I mean, you just go to Google, you Google for the technical skills, you can actually pick up pick up along the way. There's no stopping you from uh, from doing that. So you can actually pick up the technical skills. So the, the question now will be, how fast can you pick up those technical skills then? Uh, and let's face it, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of like in my 40s already, right? I know, I know my learning speed is also slowing down these days. Uh, it, it's not going to be easy to, to pick up, but you, we, have to do, we have to learn that skills now to, to how to pick up the, the, the skills and stuff like that. And why I advocate learning skill is because going forward, you won't be staying in a job for a long while. No way. You are likely to actually move on to another job, move on to another job, move on to another job. So if you're going to keep on moving to a different job altogether, being able to learn fast, right, will will serve that kind of uh, a scenario. Uh, being able to learn fast will, will serve it because then you can quickly pick up the technical skills on on online. Then after that, apply it on back to your job. Yeah. As for the question about uh the the sort of the the job market, right, how the job market will change because of AI and all this, um. I share this with a lot of my friends. That actually, that's one concern that I have, and that is, if you look at the past history, right, where we say that it hey, actually innovation, uh, innovation comes in. Uh, so maybe like you move from farming to the loom, the loom, then from loom to the other all the bigger machines. Actually, if you look at it, right, the sort of the learning curve to move from one one to the next, right, it's actually got uh, it's actually quite small. Mm -hmm. uh, the the people who are farmers can move. They will know how to operate a loom. Uh, to be more productive and, and stuff like that. But when I look at the whole, when I look at the whole market now, right, uh, I'm a bit, there's, a, there's something that's quite worrying and that is this. You think about it just uh, when we say that most of the jobs that will be replaced are the repetitive jobs, uh, the repetitive tasks and all this, right? Generally, these are people, uh, I would say not to discriminate and also a bit uh, sad, sad would be, these are folks where they are, their, maybe their mathematics and their technical skills are actually not that high in the first place. Uh, they are, their technical capabilities is not that high in the first place. And now you want to sort of move them to an uh, AI job, to, you want to move them to a data scientist job, right? Uh, to be fair to them, uh, it, it's going to require a lot of time for them to pick up the skills. Mm -hmm. the, the learning curve is actually going to be very steep. I mean, these are folks who have been doing repetitive tasks and all these. They may not have done mathematics for the longest time. They may not have done maybe engineering for the longest time. And you now have to put all these uh, higher value skill of engineering and mathematics into them, right? 
you have to give them a long runway. Uh. You have to give them a long run runway to do it. Not like in the older days where the, the skills needed to move will be, will be smaller, but now it's actually much larger. So that is a concern that I have uh, of mine. That, and I, unfortunately, I, don't, I did not observe, observe a lot of governments are actually taking that into account. They just mm. say, oh, let's go for reskilling. And then, yeah, that's, that's it really. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. No, I think I think that's great because we need to look at uh, from the full ecosystem uh, mm -hmm. when we're looking uh, moving uh, forward. And uh, Ku, you spoke about uh, we spoke about jobs, we spoke about skills, and I think we definitely now need to talk about education as well because sure. that's very critical. So my next question is that there are a number of people who are taking data science, AI, analytics courses, right? And there are so many courses available. Now, as a veteran of training and helping people to get into these areas, what advice you would give to people, uh, starting with uh, people who wants to start their career in this cutting edge technologies? Okay, uh, if you're going to start your career and all this, uh, I will say you have to ask yourself some important question. The first one is how you learn. How do you learn? How do you learn faster? How do you learn better? How do you learn more effectively? If you think you can do self-learning uh, because you're maybe a, a, a disciplined person, you know how to manage your time very, very well, uh, then probably, okay, good news is you can self-learn then if that's the case. Then what you need to do is you need maybe someone to help curate the resources so that you can jump in immediately. Uh, but for, for people, if, you're, if, if you need restructured learning, if you need structured learning, uh, then you have to go for the boot camps. You, go, you have to go for degree programs and 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 all. Um, but having said that, for both modes of learning, right, there's still one thing that's missing. Like I go back to the example I shared uh, earlier in the podcast, and that is you only have pick up the what are the tools inside the tool set, uh, inside, mm -hmm. inside the toolbox. You have not demonstrated any capabilities or any ability that you can solve a problem with data. That means like how you how you bring the tools out and what are the tools you bring out and how you sequence the tools in order to solve the problems, uh, and and also in order to do that after the boot camps after your self learn you still have to work on a project portfolio, uh, you still have to work on a project portfolio, and I think for those people who are starting on your career and all this right, don't shortcut on the portfolio. What I mean by that is don't please don't show your school projects. Show your individual portfolio. Uh, that will help your employer to decide whether you are capable, whether you are suitable for the particular uh, job. Uh, so start a project portfolio if you can, maybe have two or three po projects uh, portfolio. And I always tell my mentees, right? I tell them that at the end of the day, your employer is looking at your thought process. Your employer is actually buying your thought process. Hmm. So you must structure your thought process well a thought process that can solve problems with data. Uh, so what's the, what's, the, what's the structured approach to, uh, to doing it? Express that in your portfolio. Uh, so you do your documentation, you do your comments in your quotes and all this, write all this down, uh, make sure uh, your employers can see this, make sure your employer can understand it, can see where you're going from, how you approach the problems uh and, and stuff like that and i think if you work on your project portfolio well enough you should be able to land a job uh, you should be able to land a job uh as a start mm -hmm. um the other thing is this i think a lot of people i know i know especially in in a pandemic situation where jobs are scarce and all this it can be a bit uh challenging but please also ask question to your employer uh 
nowadays I don't see a job as a employer employee kind of uh, relationship. It's mm -hmm. a, not a hierarchical relationship anymore. It's more of a, a, a same level kind of relationship. I'm here to do a job. It's because I get interesting experience. Uh, I get to learn something new. Uh, that sort of adds a bit more color to life, to working life rather than something that's dreary and dark and all this. So feel free to also ask questions to the employer as well. Uh, don't, don't, um, don't be quiet about it and say, oh yeah, I just take any jobs that, that comes in the picture. Because at the end of the day, uh, you want to be in a job that you enjoy. Hmm. Yes, I know, I know that survival, I know this, that, that, that needs to come into mind. But at the end of the day, if you're looking to build a, a good career path out of it and all this, right, my suggestion is really ask the employer question. I think nowadays also employers are a bit more understanding as well in the sense that, hey, if you ask questions about my, 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 my environment, my businesses and all this, right, they kind of see it as a, what, hey, actually, I think you're interested in my job. That's why you did a lot more research uh, on it. I think it's also a positive signal to, to, set, to send out as well. Yeah. A very, very good answer. In fact, you covered uh, the technology uh, enthusiasts and also you covered the management enthusiasts. Yep. Thank, yep. thank thank you so much. How can people reach out to you? What's the best way to reach out to you? Well, the best way to reach out to me is actually on LinkedIn. Uh, I think maybe you all can share the LinkedIn uh, links later on. But just look for my full name, uh, Ku, uh, then Ping Shung. Uh, so far, it's unique. Uh. The last I checked on LinkedIn is a, is a unique name. <laughs> I haven't found a second person that had the same name. Uh, so just look, look for me on LinkedIn. Uh, then uh, we can always discuss further. Like, I, I, I always love to discuss uh, data science, AI with, with, with people on, on online and all this. But uh, for I think some, some people may, may sort of approach me and ask me for help and all this. But just take note that I, there's a lot of people, there's a lot of, actually there's a lot of requests coming in and all this. And I'll try to accommodate as much as possible given my, my training schedule and all. You're yeah. doing a wonderful job, I'm telling yeah. you. So yeah, we are oh. learning a lot. We learn through this podcast. We learn through some of the uh, posts that you make in LinkedIn. It's more meaningful and you initiate conversations as well. So it's a fantastic way to engage with thank you, thank you. leaders at thank the same time. Learn. Thank you. Hey, thank you. Thank you for having me on your show. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in, my friends. We have got thousands of people listening to this podcast and wanted to thank you all for the love and encouragement so far. Some of you have reached out personally to us and thanked as well for producing great quality content. It would be awesome if you like and follow our LinkedIn page, Inspiring Ideas. And please don't forget to hit the subscribe button from where you are listening. We are across all the key podcast channels, Apple, Google, Spotify, etc. We will see you with another great episode next week. Thank you so much.